Today's episode is proudly sponsored by Radical Polymers. Nation, running a water treatment business is hard. Dealing with your suppliers shouldn't be. And when I deal with the fine folks over at Radical Polymers, I have always felt like I have had a partner. They test things in the environment that we are going to use their products. They also make sure that if I have any questions, that I get the answer that I am looking for. Mike and the fine folks over at Radical Polymers answer the phones. Folks, when was the last time you actually talked with somebody when you had a technical support question? Well, they make your issues their issues and they get right down to the problem. They offer best-in-class technologies with the first-class support that I just mentioned. Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash radical to find out more. Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast where we're scaling up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. Happy Friday, the 24th, Scaling Up Nation. Trace Blackmore here, your host for Scaling Up H2O. And folks, I want to let you know about a couple of things that are going on so you can get them on your calendar. I talked a little bit about these the previous week, but I want to make sure that if these are some of the events that you want to go to, you know that they are coming up. The AWT is having their business owners meeting February 10th and 11th in Clearwater, Florida. So if you are a business owner and you want to share ideas with other business owners, this is a place you need to consider going. You can go to awt.org forward slash business meeting 20 to find out more about that. Also in February, AWT is having their technical training seminars. The first one is going to be in Seattle, Washington, February 26th and 29th. And then there'll be another opportunity in Cleveland, Ohio, March 18th through 21st. So visit the AWT website if you want to find out more about that. Folks, I will be there and I hope to see you at those technical training seminars. But I'm not done. I want you to know that there are other events going on and I want you to consider that there are other organizations that deal with your particular area of water treatment that you might want to get involved with. March 2nd through 4th, WEX Global is having their water and energy exchange. Now, that's going to be over in Spain. I know there are a lot of listeners that we have in Scaling Up that are in Spain. That might be something that you want to consider going, but you can go to wex-global.com to find out more about that. California is having their water reuse convention. If you live in California, you might want to consider going to the water reuse conference. That's going to be March 15th through 17th in San Francisco. This is a conference all about water recycling. So if this is in your area of water treatment, that's something that you would want to consider. 
And then April 1st through 3rd is going to be the WQA Convention and Expo being held in Orlando, Florida. So folks, get out there, figure out what events are right for you and go to these. The networking opportunities are amazing. Getting to know other people in your industry is amazing. So they're available out there. Hopefully some of the ones I mentioned are some that can help you, but you can do some searches online yourself and figure out what are those other organizations that can help you in your industry. Nation, I'm really excited about our next guest. I've gotten to know our next guest over the past year, and I met him at one of the AWT training seminars. He told me that he was a fan of the show and he was coming to the training seminars because I recommended that people come on the show. I had no idea people listened to me. Well, his name is Reed Hutchinson, and he indeed does listen to the show, and he did exactly what I said. He not only went to one technical training seminar, he went to both of them. Now, I recommend that you go to both the Fundamentals and Applications, which is made for people three years in the industry or less, but it's also great for people that have been seasoned in the industry because it helps them get a perspective of how to train younger people better. When I say younger, younger in the industry, but it also helps them explain to their customer what water treatment does and the valuable services that they are providing. So you might want to consider going to that. And my recommendation and the one that Reed took was to go to both of those, the Fundamentals and Applications class, and then also the Technical Training class. What we've done as a committee with AWT is we've tried to create a platform where we introduce things in the Fundamentals and Applications, and then we graduate up to the Technical Training. So really, if you go to one and not the other, you're getting half of the information. So I urge if you are going to these Technical Training classes and you have the resources to go to both of them, please do that. Well, anyway, that's how Reed and I met. He told me that that is exactly what he was doing. I interviewed Reed when we were out in California last year, and I told him I wanted him to come on the show after he went to the next training seminar. And that's exactly what we did. And here is the recording where Reed and I spoke, and you can tell he's just a heck of a guy, and I know you are going to enjoy this interview. My lab partner today is Reed Hutchinson of HOH. Reed, you and I have been trying to schedule this. It seems like years, but it's finally here. You are my lab partner. How the heck are you, Reed? I'm doing great, Trace. Well, thank you for coming on Scaling Up H2O. We're going to talk about a whole gamut of things today. We have a lot of topics to cover, but before we get started on that, I would like for you to let the Scaling Up Nation know a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so uh, I'm from the suburbs of Chicago, uh, a little place called Carroll Stream. Uh, I lived there all my life, and I'm there currently with my wife of uh, seven years, Caroline. Uh, and I'm the chief operating officer at HOH. Uh, we're a Midwestern-based regional water treatment company, and uh, where I happen to work with my dad, who goes by Hutch, and my brother-in-law Andy. And we've been in the water treatment industry as a company for about 50 
51 years uh, since my granddad's founding of the business in 68. That's pretty cool. I mean, we have a lot of family businesses within the Association of Water Technologies, but I don't know that many that are over 50 years old. That's awesome. Yeah, we're pretty excited about it. It's uh, it's it's been a long journey. Obviously, I've only been a part of it for a handful of years, but but we got a chance to mark that 50 year milestone last year in March as a company, and it was it was quite a celebration, a big milestone for my dad, who's been in this for about 40 years, and it it was a significant moment because at this point we've got about three different generations in the business, and uh, we're excited about the next one ahead. Now, I've got to ask you, being in a generational business like that, I'm assuming that you were brought up in water treatment. Did you ever had a choice to do water treatment or was that just that was what you were going to do and everybody knew it? You know, uh, my mom probably knew I would always do it, uh, but I wasn't necessarily aware of that. I'm the youngest of five kids, and I've always tended to follow in my dad's footsteps from things like music and and sports. But when studying in college and trying to figure out what I wanted to do professionally, I really resisted the path towards going right to HOH. Trying to think more independently like my older siblings, I wanted to kind of carve out my own path. But unbeknownst to me, I was making choices that regardless uh, of what I thought I was doing, I I was aligned with coming to HOH probably from the very beginning. Uh, even though I wouldn't have admitted it then. Well, it sounds like you and I have similar stories. My dad was in the industry, although he never owned a water treatment company, but he was grooming me all along to be a water treater. And during school, I did everything I could not to go into the family business, if you will. So I'm sort of curious, what did you try before you got into the family business? I ended up going to uh, a university in Upland, Indiana, a really small town in central eastern part of Indiana. Uh, It's Taylor University. It's a a Christian liberal arts school. And I was there kind of initially checking out political science, uh, economics. It's a Christian school. So I was kind of interested in, in going into Christian ministry as well. But I ended up shaping my major into what ended up being finance, economics, and systems. I thought I had kind of carved out a path that gave me a couple different options to explore you know, uh, the variety of passions. And at the end uh, of college, ended up going to work for a manufacturing company. So what brought you to HOH? You know, ending college and, and going to work for this, uh, this manufacturing firm, I got a couple years there and it was a great opportunity. I got to work directly for the owner for a little bit. And then uh, they gave me the chance to move around a couple different roles um, and got to travel internationally a bit to some of the different plants they had. And I really thought I was on the track to move into manufacturing plant management. I thought it was, a, it was really fun to make things. Um, I'm not a degreed engineer, but I liked all of the dynamic parts that go into a manufacturing plant to produce really products that, that a lot of times people don't know uh, are existing uh, or what businesses are making them. We see the end users um, and the OEMs, but not a lot of the manufacturing firms beneath that. So I love the diversity of management and, and, and manufacturing. Uh, and as I started to take some steps there, I was getting offered a position to go into a plant management role. And my dad uh, decided that was the time he wanted to make a, a concerted effort to lure me into the family business. So at the same time I was getting an offer uh, at my previous employer, my dad came in and painted a picture of becoming a field sales and service rep at HOH. And uh, as I weighed the options, it boiled down to me looking at the next 10 years of my life and and realizing you know, I got an opportunity here to help 
you know, grow my former boss's, uh, Justin's business for the next 10 years, which would have been a lot of fun. He was a really awesome guy and gave me a lot of opportunity. Or I could help grow my dad's business and get to see a part of his life that, um, you know, I never quite fully understood. And so it came between my dad and, and, and Justin and I chose my dad. Uh, thinking I had a unique window of opportunity to get to be with him and, and work with him and, and help him grow. Um, and that was really without fully understanding all of what I was getting myself into with water treatment. Well, now you've been in it for a couple of years. What's it like to work with your dad? It's awesome. I'm extremely privileged uh, to have uh, have my dad as my dad. It's a unique experience, though. It's challenging, but rewarding. You know, there's a lot I've learned about him um, as a boss, um, in some respects, but as we've grown in our relationship, I see him a bit more as a partner and in some ways as a friend. And those are dimensions of our relationship. You know, I probably wouldn't have had the chance to experience if I didn't end up joining him, uh, in the business. So we have a lot of fun, but it, it certainly is family, uh, as much as it is business. And so things get, things get hairy every once in a while. And, uh, we're not shy about, you know, our personal relationship and the dynamics there. Um, we think it's part of what makes, you know, our culture fun and, and genuine and authentic. But we also have to navigate, you know, the, the things that people typically have to do with their own families, uh, except it's just in the business. I work a lot with other businesses. And when I see multi-generational businesses working and it's working well, it's just magic. But I also see some where they haven't figured it out like you guys have. And it is just a disaster. So I'm curious, what advice do you have for someone listening that is working with a relative and things aren't going as well? Yeah, you know, I would say, you know, maybe the single most important thing uh, you could do there is to introduce an objective third party into the relationship. So for us, it's been in the form of a professional coach who my dad has worked with originally through a group called Convene, now in, in John Wright Unlimited. And so uh, that professional coach has helped us navigate some of the interpersonal dynamics between me and my dad. You know, it's some of it is strategic business planning um, and other parts of it are are almost more like counseling, having to navigate all of the emotional dynamics of the relationship. So, yeah, for folks that are, are navigating that, you, you pretty much need help. You can't, I think, do it successfully without some sort of uh, guidance um, from somebody who's got experience with executive business coaching and also just navigating the unique dynamics of, of family business. So, yeah, get, get some help. There's lots of different groups out there. We've done some work with Loyola Family Business as well, based out of Chicago. But yeah, don't go it alone. Uh, I think oftentimes family businesses need a little bit more support in figuring out how to manage the business in a healthy way even more so than the non-family businesses. Reed, your dad recently did a talk at the 2019 AWT conference on this topic. I'm going to have Hutch on and he's going to share some of the items. I don't know if he knows that yet, but I'm, I'm going to have him on because he did a great job. What are some of the things that he mentioned during that talk? Yeah, so he actually did a survey of 22 other AWT companies, uh, business owners uh, that are in varying degrees of their own family business journeys. And so he got a chance to interview 22 different people and just did a survey of what folks have experienced uh, along the way. And what he does in his talk, he's boiled it down into kind of three general areas that family businesses need to check in on. 
The first is family dynamics. And he covers kind of what I just shared there about what it looks like to get help to navigate the emotional and relational parts of working with a dad or a mom or a brother or sister. Um, And then secondly, he looks at what impact organizational transition has on the business. So as new generations are coming in, what are some of the, the consequences and themes of that taking place? how to communicate effectively with the company and how to really do some strategic planning to make sure people are aware of where the business is going with the next generation. And then lastly, he touches on some financial resources and implications as well. So, you know, when one generation is trying to pass the business on, there's a lot of different strategies that that need to be planned out in order to get money out of the business and to successfully transfer ownership in a, in a healthy way. And so when he's done the 22 interviews, you know, he talked a little bit about, you know, some of the pitfalls, but also some of the success stories as well. And he talks with small companies and, and some companies that are much larger than us. And within those three general areas, you know, his point of view on it is is generally that, you know, the the purpose of keeping a family business and helping it succeed in the next generation, it all comes down to relationships. So wanting to make a lasting impact on the world primarily through the people that you care about and have a relationship with. And when you're in a family business, you got to pay special attention to protecting those, leveraging your resources to, to care for them well. And a lot of times people think, you know, businesses is just about making a profit and a dollar. And that's obviously, you know, part of running the business. Um, but generally what we've seen and heard from other family businesses is that it begins to transcend beyond just the profit and, and more about what you can do with the resources of the organization and, and caring for uh, the people in your life. Well, I'm really looking forward to having Hutch on the show and talking about exactly what you just laid down for us. My ask for you is that you help him say yes, that he'll come on the show. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Reed, you have a very interesting life. You do a whole bunch of things. We're going to talk about several of those things. But I'm curious, what's your average day-to-day like? My day-to-day has become kind of a moving target. Nowadays, you know, I've moved into the chief operating officer role at HOH. And internally, you know, beyond the title, we refer to that as the integrator seat. And so a lot of my day-to-day is spent primarily coordinating and communicating uh, within and across the the main leadership functions of the business. So I, I spend probably about three to four days out of our corporate office in Palatine, Illinois. It's a northwest suburb of Chicago. And then maybe about one to two other days working remotely. We've got regional offices in, in Detroit, Milwaukee, and Sioux Falls that I try and, and, and make a visit to once a quarter for a day or two and just work out of those offices. But yeah, I mean, if I look at it and kind of say, where's my time going? Generally about 25% you know, in, in meetings. We run weekly level 10s on Mondays, uh, generally check in with different direct reports on my team, safety meetings, et cetera. And then maybe another 25% is, is me getting focused individual time. So I've got my own personal rocks and projects, things I'm trying to move forward for the company. So I may spend about a day or two on that a week. And then I get to work with a lot of our partners, vendors, and external folks, you know, like insurance, banks, lawyers, potential partners. Sometimes I get to go to trade shows and do some speaking or work a booth. And then the last component, maybe the last 25% is you know, all the unplanned stuff. We generally bucket it into our issues list, but could be internal meetings, uh, me doing some analysis, trying to figure out a problem or calling a friend and trying to figure out how to get resources for the company. So it becomes kind of wide ranging and, and no one week looks the same, but you know, that's generally the four, four buckets my time goes into. 
Well, Reed, I could not help but notice you use some terms that members of the Scaling Up Nation have heard before. You said the integrator, you said rocks, you said level 10 meetings. That, of course, comes from EOS, the Entrepreneur Operating System. I've done a couple of shows on EOS, but you guys have been running on EOS for quite a while. I was hoping we could take a few moments and talk about what EOS is and specifically as a water treatment company owner, why you were seeking something like EOS and what it's done for you. Yeah, so our, our EOS journey um, really began even prior to, to me coming on board at HOH. I've been, been here for about five years, and it was just as I was coming on uh, that my dad made the decision to uh, implement EOS within HOH. And so that was in 2014. At the time, he was actually engaged in a peer CEO group through Convene and uh, with the facilitator there um, on one of their days when they were meeting together, an EOS implementer came in and presented the, the model to them. And out of that meeting, my dad was pretty much convinced that EOS was exactly what HOH had needed to, to move forward. He described it at the time that we were a $30 million company operating like a $10 million company, which, you know, revenue numbers don't paint a full picture of what's going on. But, you know, I think most people could relate. You know, you you may be doing a lot, um, but you're still operating on the same old uh, principles and, and systems you used before. And we were just simply not in a position where we could grow. We had actually recently acquired a company uh, that had grown our operation by a third. And our existing management team at the time just struggled to get their arms around integrating that new company and figuring out how to operate at a different level. And so my dad saw EOS really as a, as a shortcut to put in place the systems and the structures and the processes from which the management team could operate the business more profitably and position us uh, to grow. And then for me, you know, as I've come in uh, to different management roles, it's been super helpful for my own experience because I didn't have a ton of management experience prior to HOH. And so EOS talks a lot about getting the right people in the right seat and making sure that everybody in their role is clear on what they're accountable for, what their priorities are, and that they get, want, and have the capacity to do their job. And that simple framework, those words I'm using come straight out of the playbook that EOS provides you. And for a new manager like myself, that gave me a solid foundation from which to make decisions uh, and, and oftentimes manage people that were my superiors uh, in experience and, and age. And so I didn't necessarily fall back on my own knowledge or experience. I would typically fall back to the systems and to the playbook that we had all submitted ourselves to. So it was hugely valuable for my dad to get his arms around the business, upgrade the management team. Uh, and then for new managers like myself, it gave us a framework from which we could develop and run the business. And so we're still using it today. It's evolved quite a bit over five years. It didn't necessarily happen all at once. But the, the ultimate goal with the model is not to just be on EOS. It's to eventually kind of shape the EOS model into your own model, uh, which we call the HOH way. So it's an ongoing discipline we're, we're utilizing, falling back to in order to stay disciplined. Because we want to operate profitably and we want to grow. And EOS is kind of like our, you know, Microsoft Windows operating system for the business. Uh, it makes tangible some of the things that are really intangible about managing and leading. And I think it's been a place we've been able to create a lot of value from. 
Uh, it doesn't give you all the answers, but it, it gives you sort of the canvas and the, the framework to be able to build on. Yeah, we've been using EOS for, I want to say, almost five years. I don't think quite as long as you have, but I was looking for something that could help me run the company better because I learned water treatment. I learned how to run tests. I learned to be a very good technician when it came to water treatment. But as far as running the water treatment company, I needed some assistance with that. And although you take business classes, EOS really gave you the platform, the foundation to start running your company on. And I can't imagine running it without it. So I think you and I met at a technical training and somehow EOS got brought up. I think we started using terms that uh, you might have said a level 10 and I knew exactly what that was. And we instantly bonded over that. Yeah. And I mean, that's an example of how, you know, a common language um, is just a shortcut to being able to work more effectively with people, you know? So even, even working with you or talking with you about the business, you know, we've got common terms. And a lot of times I, I think when people are in business, you know, even with business degrees, we use a lot of complicated language and it kind of covers up some of the, the root issues. So we use a lot of terminology that people don't understand. It kind of masks what's really going on. And so having a very simple model with common language kind of cuts through all of the smoke and mirrors and gets right to the heart of the issue. Um, and that's generally people issues. And uh, it's the hardest one, but it's the most important one to kind of get your arms around. And, and EOS just, it doesn't let you hide and it keeps you disciplined on, on what you really need to do to help grow the business. And it's relatively simple. I know you've probably thought to yourself, well, I could have come up with this. Why didn't I? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm a lifelong learner. I'm always reading different business books. And so, yeah, there's, there's kind of a frustrating part of how simple the concepts are. And, and they're not shy about sharing that ideas they have are, are, are from other folks or they give credit to where credit's due. But it's really how they package it in a simple format for, for people. So it puts all of the, the great business books together into a simple model. And then there's a lot of different implementers in different cities who, who are coaches or guides um, for a business owner or a leadership team to kind of go through the process. So those two things working together, a coach or implementer, and then just kind of the simple framework. Yeah, it works well. It's, it's annoying. You, you could go read some fancy new business book that was being marketed, and you usually come back to find that the, the concepts are generally the same. So there's nothing new under the sun. And, and EOS just uh, keeps reminding you of that. They've actually got a pretty good library, too, of, of different books. Um, they've got a book called What the Heck is EOS for Employees that, that helps share the model with everybody in the company. Uh, they've got a good book for, for new managers called How to Be a Great Boss. And then they've also got a book called Traction, which is great for leadership teams to get their, their arms around it. So they're repackaging kind of the same concepts just to help everybody grasp the ideas. Because once everybody gets it, uh, you can really begin moving in the same direction, which, you know, as I'm learning in, in running a business, that's the hardest thing. It's keeping all the arrows pointed in the same direction, keeping everybody rowing in the same direction. It's the hardest thing. And, and I think that's the issue that, that EOS gets right at. Reed, have you read the book Rocket Fuel? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't even mention that one. But yeah, that's been an important book for, for both my dad and I as we've begun to distinguish our roles between visionary and integrator. 
that book was really eye-opening for me. And uh, likewise, my integrator, Christopher Kersey, it helped us relate better to each other. And we now can run the business together. And we know what each of us is responsible for because of that book. And might I mention, we're not getting paid a dime to talk about EOS. We're, we're selling it pretty well. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I mean, that's a testament to the program, you know, it's, you know, if it's successful, people will rave about it. And I think, you know, EOS is growing, I think, really fast. And, and generally, it's because they've got raving fans that have experienced success with it. So and I would I don't want to even claim like we're, you know, we're really great at it. It feels like it's something we're always working at. And as soon as you get one component of the model working, you generally kind of need to check in on another. So I, it's not something I think you put in and, and magically everything's running efficiently. It's a continuous improvement model. And the frustrating thing about continuous improvement is it's always happening. So it certainly makes life a lot easier. And for me, you know, I, I can kind of tend towards visionary as well as an integrator. It, it helps me stay disciplined to the, the main things we need to do to run the business efficiently. You know, and when my dad, who's 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 definitely a visionary, you know, wants to go off and, and start something new right now that could potentially shift the business, um, we generally are, are kind of girded in by the EOS model. It protects us sometimes from ourselves. So, yeah, uh, we don't get paid for it, but you know, part of doing this podcast and whatnot is to contribute to the industry. And I think you know most water treatment companies would benefit uh, by checking out EOS. Just thinking back on the last five years, I'm thinking about some of the issues that we had before, and, and you nailed it. You said it's always people issues, and it always is. But because of EOS, we've been able to get processes in place, and, and not processes where you have to have robots doing the same thing, the same job over and over, but just something so you don't lose the way your company does something, and then you bring a right person in, and then they're able to put their touch on it. Things like that and how we do reviews, all of those things, I had no idea what the best way was to do that. And EOS really gave us a structure for all of that. And I look at the problems we had then. Now, we still have our fair share of problems now. Don't get me wrong, but they're not problems like that. And when we do identify a problem, we have a way to solve them. I get to ask this question quite a bit because I've done, if you want to count this as an EOS episode, I've done three episodes on EOS and I've had some some pretty big names from the EOS uh, model come on the show, Mark Winter one and Mike Payton the other one. And one of the things that they say is you have to drive it from the top. If the owner doesn't want to do it, it won't happen. And I truly understand that. But I get asked the question from listeners of this show saying, I know we have these problems. And I know that something like the entrepreneur operating system will help this company. What can I do to try to spark some interest with the owner? What advice do you have for them? You know, it's a, it's a pretty thorny issue. If you're working in a business and you see the issues and you know, you know a little bit about EOS and you know it might speak to some of those issues that you're dealing with. But if you don't have an owner that's on board, um, it's pretty dangerous to start, you know, <laughs> encouraging them to, to tackle those issues. Because, you know, as a, as a leader in the business, what's, what's hardest is as much as, you know, we want to blame other people sometimes for what's going wrong. Uh, it generally always falls back on, on the leader who needs to grow first. 
And one of the concepts EOS talks a lot about is uh, breaking through the ceiling and hitting a, a leadership lid, you know, and so the heaviest, you know, weight is really on the the owner or the, or the chief leader of the organization to grow before, you know, the rest of the organization can can flourish. So I guess if you have an owner that's that's not interested in addressing some of the organizational challenges, you know, I might encourage not approaching the owner about it, but but maybe grab in the book, How to Be a Great Boss and What the Heck is EOS, and uh, perhaps putting some of the concepts into place with you and your team. If you're a manager, uh, that would be a great place to start. You can establish a, a VTO, a vision traction organizer for your department. You can attempt to answer maybe some of the questions for the company and begin using some of the tools. I think I think the tools are relevant whether the whole company is running on the EOS model or not. And then, you know, if, if you're getting some success from that and people are starting to ask why, then you could point to the tool and suggest maybe others adopt it as well. So at HOH, that's, that's generally been my practice uh, as well. It's a little bit different when you're the boss's son because you, you never kind of walk in these doors without having that label there. But when I've believed in a tool uh, like EOS, I've generally tried to apply it for myself, for, for my team, get some success, generate some interest, have people asking why, and then refer and recommend it to people within the organization, hoping to kind of garner the attention of upper management. So that might be one way to do it, but it, it definitely depends on, on the company. And, you know, at some point, I, I think the, the hard truth for business owners is that, hey, if you're unwilling to address the issues in your business, at some point in time, the people, the best people that want to grow and want to succeed are going to ask hard and challenging questions. And if you're not willing to roll up your sleeves and get in and, and deal with the hard issues, at some point, the owner is going to start losing folks. And so, you know, that's, you know, maybe a, a dark picture to paint uh, down the road. You know, but if if you're somebody working for a water treatment company and you want to grow, you know, first push yourself and and, and definitely those within your sphere of influence, and then see where that takes you. Uh, but yeah, I think for for anybody, business owners or water treaters, you can check out the EOS tools and and probably get some benefit from applying them, uh, regardless of your position. I love your answer. I interviewed a gentleman named Clay Scroggins on the show, and he wrote a book called How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, because so many people think that if they're not in charge, they have no power. But the way you answered your question was so well-rounded around that you are in charge of some things, whether you realize it or not. And if you make those small changes and they start bettering your department or your team, people are going to take notice and they're going to want to duplicate that. I absolutely love that answer. Yeah. And that, I remember he listened to that episode and yeah, it's Clay Scroggins. Yeah. When he uh, spoke to you in the interview that, that resonated so much with me. Uh, it affirmed and gave language to a lot of things I've tried to do. And I, you know, I don't do it perfectly. It's, it's, it can be messy sometimes, especially in the family business, but yeah, you're, you, you got to look at what you are in control of and, and work with that you know, and then, and that's about all you can do uh, is try and influence others. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. You and I met at uh, the Association of Water Technologies technical training event. I can't remember which year that was, but it was at one of those. And you really took it seriously. And you went because you were a listener of Scaling Up H2O. And I gave the advice that if you're a water treater and you want to learn more, you should go to that. So I want to talk a little bit about how you process that. And you heard the podcast. You said, yeah, I'm actually going to do it. 
Yeah, I mean, a, a big part of my water treatment journey uh, has been listening to this podcast and and pretty much you know taking your advice, Trace, and and just putting it into action. And and one of those episodes was to to not only attend the AWT technical training seminars, but but you had even said I think it was I think it was actually this year because I went in February and March, and when you had done an episode, I don't know maybe December January, you had said, hey, some people even go to both. You know, there's a lot of different components to the seminar from fundamentals to the technical training, wastewater, RO, sales training, and you, you can't do it all in one trip, but you can hit most of it if you, if you go to both locations on both the West Coast and the East Coast. So I was fortunate enough to get the support to come out and to dedicate the time and resources to attending both uh, San Diego and Annapolis. And it was well worth the investment of time uh, and, and resources. I had a great time. Um, I got to meet you uh, in person. And actually in San Diego, I went by myself. Uh, but then in Annapolis, I actually got to attend with my brother-in-law, Andy, and our technical services director, Darius. And we started to think through, you know, how do we take what we learned here at the seminar and bring that back into HOH uh, to help the water treaters of our company get better at what they do? Well, for a little background information for the Scaling Up Nation, if you do not know, the Association of Water Technologies puts on a technical training event, normally somewhere East Coast side and somewhere West Coast side every year. And it has several different trainings. You mentioned that there is a sales training. There's also a reverse osmosis training that happens before the actual event starts on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, the main event starts. Is it Thursday or Friday? It's Thursday, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I should know this. I'm, I'm one of the people that help, <laughs> help actually do this. But that being said, now you have a choice if you're going to do the fundamentals and applications training, which is basically the foundations of what all water treatment knowledge is based on, or the technical side. And technical side assumes you know all the foundational learnings and you're learning from a, a higher level. So I want to ask you, since you went to both, what you got from both of those, do you recommend other people do that? And then what were some of the lessons learned that if you had to do it all over again, that you would do? Yeah. So, I mean, I took away a lot. Attending the seminar is like drinking from a fire hose, which if you think about it, isn't a great way to get a sip of water. Uh, it can be a bit painful. Right. Um, but, you know, my, my objective in going, you know, was first uh, to get a survey of all of what AWT had to offer in terms of technical training. So I personally wanted to go myself because I wanted to see, you know, really how can HOH be a part of, leverage some of the resources we have as being members of the association and and share what I what I learned at the seminar. So in San Diego, I went to the sales training on, on Wednesday um, and that was a super helpful session. I got to meet Russ Baskin who did the training. And the best part about that sales process, even though I'm not in a direct sales role at HOH anymore, it showed me all the subtle things I do, whether I know it or not, to influence people towards whatever it is I'm selling them on a new idea, on a vision, on a solution. And Russ uh, was super interactive in how he presented it. We didn't just sit and look at PowerPoint slides. He actually got us up and interacted with each other. We broke up into teams and actually got to present you know, what we would say to a prospect about our own water treatment company. And so Russ was super helpful at just kind of offering a different perspective on how to sell what we do as water treaters. He did something really cool as well. 
that stuck with me was he initially came in and presented in the morning with a beard and a suit. And he looked like a, you know, a very top-notch sales professional. And then as the day went on, I didn't really catch it until the afternoon. But during each of the breaks, he slowly was shaving uh, and changing his outfit until eventually he was in basically jeans and a polo with a logo of his, of his company on his shirt. And, and what he showed us was, you know, depending on your audience, uh, you need to tailor how you look and how you dress according to what they are, are comfortable with. So if you're meeting with a higher level business manager of a property, you may want to mimic and match what they're wearing to try and speak at their level. But that doesn't mean that you're not, you know, comfortable in jeans and a polo. And, you know, if you're performing mostly service one day, you know, go ahead and change the way you dress to to meet who you're working with. So if you're working with an operating engineer, you may want to be at their level in terms of dress and attire. And you can, you know, in a sales role, really be all things to all people, not in a disingenuous way, but in a way to help uh, you connect with whoever it is you're trying to work with and with whatever you're trying to get done. So uh, that was just a picture that that really lasted for me that, that Russ helped pay in that sales training. And then going on from there in San Diego after sales training on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday was the AWT Fundamentals and Applications Training, which I had done some at HOH. We have uh, a training program that we put new hires through. And so I was already familiar with a couple of years experience, but I mostly wanted to get what you described there, Trace, a, a solid foundation before I went into the technical training. And what I really got from the fundamentals course you know, Trace, you've spoken that a bit. Uh, they had a few other guest speakers. Mark Lewis did a lot of the talking, but I really got a good perspective of what it's like to come into this industry as a new service engineer and especially breaking down some of the complicated topics of water treatment into their simplest components. So one of the pictures that stuck with me, uh, you actually did trace, which was the follow the heat exercise. And so you actually had different people stand up in front of the room with different laminated uh, pictures of systems in, in, a, uh, in an HVAC system. And one of those laminated papers had uh, a flame on it. And you helped us begin to analyze HVAC and water treatment systems, primarily from the perspective of following the heat. And it really simplified the, the whole concept down for me, not because I didn't understand the systems, but mostly so I can more efficiently describe it to people who are new or maybe aren't water treaters. That's one of the most often repeated feedback that I get from people that are experienced in the industry that, hey, I already knew this stuff, but now I can relate it in a way where somebody that doesn't have my 15 years of experience can actually understand what it is that I'm doing or trying to explain to them. Yeah. And for me that, you know, I don't know what the quote is. Somebody said something really smart about this, but when you're able to talk about something that's very complex in simple terms for people, that that generally is a sign of knowing it really well. And I've always remembered that because, you know, I came into the industry with the finance and economics background and, you know, was plopped right into a role that's, that's very engineering oriented or chemistry oriented. And I've always kind of felt like I, you know, I'm missing something technically. And then I feel like I've got to slow down and, and break down some of these really complicated topics into a simple form just so I can understand them. But I've learned, you know, after these last couple of years that that's, that's been one of the most helpful things for me because uh, a lot of what I'm doing now is, is relating some of these concepts to people who aren't technical, just like I'm not. And that's generally how, you know, we get things done as water treaters. You know, we're not speaking with people that are at our level of expertise, but what we know we need to get across to them so they can make good decisions when it comes to their, their water. 
So you are a testament when people are listening and they're trying to figure out which one of these programs do I go to, that even if you have years of experience, it's still a good idea to start from the base level because one, it's a refresher, and two, you're going to get different concepts to help other people understand what you're trying to say. Yeah, and I I would go, you know, even to add one other layer to it that, you know, a large part of the benefit that you get from going to the seminar is simply the focus that you end up gaining by being in a place that isn't, you know, home or work. Even when you're sitting in a session where you're familiar with the concepts, uh, your brain is just is dialed in and in a surprisingly you know, focused way. And, you know, generally we think we're paying attention to what we're doing day to day, but in water treatment, you're kind of on autopilot a lot of the time following in your habits and routines. And so going to the seminar, I think interrupts the routine. And even if, yeah, you're, you're learning concepts uh, that you already have known. I think the brain does something different when you're in that new space, you're with your peers, you're hearing things phrased differently. And then even in the in the downtime, I think connections are being made that wouldn't otherwise happen if you just stayed in your in your normal routine every week of the year. One of the groups I'm a member of and I've spoken on this show about is Vistage, I think very similar to the group that you mentioned your dad was a member of. But one of the key things that they say over and over again is you have to get out of the business to work on the business. And if you're working in the business, you're not working on the business. So exactly what you described is what they're trying to say. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And I I think that's, that's for business owners, but I think it's for water treatment professionals too. Yeah. And I think water treatment is a little unique because even if you're not owning the business, you do own what you do. You're responsible for a certain area. I know there are other industries that are like that, but specifically water treatment, it's almost like you're you're your own independent contractor with a little business inside of another business. So I really think it rings true to that as well as some other businesses. Yeah, I think I think that's it. I think that I think you just nailed it. Like that's what makes being a water treatment professional so so complicated and complex, you know, at times because it's got a little bit of both in there. So, you know, that's can be really challenging at times, but I think that's also part of what we love about it too because it comes with a lot of freedom. You never get bored, but, you know, if if you're doing that for too long and you're never stopping to reflect, you know, you're going to kind of hit a lid uh, at some point. So, you know, if if the seminar is the place for you to do that, I mean, I it was for me this past year, so I'd recommend it. And I think of all the cool people that I have met, yourself included, because I have been involved in my industry's association. If uh, listeners out there aren't in the same type of industrial water treatment that Reed and I are, I assure you that there is an association out there that does these same things. But you have just talked about the fundamentals and applications class so far. So how did you know that you definitely did want to come back and continue with the technical training program. Yeah. So, you know, for me, I, I signed up for both pretty much uh, before I, I went to San Diego. So I was locked in uh, for both. But but when I was in San Diego, you know, we hadn't signed up uh, Andy or, or Darius yet. And I think it was pretty much even after the first day, um, I knew it was worth having them attend as well because, you know, pretty much day one, yeah, I was suspicious of whether, you know, the seminar would have anything 
new or different to offer that I haven't already received at HOH? And that was one of my questions. And, and that was immediately answered. The, the teachers across the board in sales fundamentals and applications demonstrated, yeah, a, a technical expertise that that doesn't exceed some of the folks I've learned from an HOH, but but definitely offered a, a different perspective and, and a really valuable perspective. So I wanted uh, Darius and Andy to to experience that as well over in Annapolis. And so they signed up and, and came out as well. And then when we were there together, we got a chance to meet a, a lot of different cool people, other professionals. Some of them were local in Chicago, uh, but others were from all over uh, the U.S. And when we were there together, we had a lot of great discussions around a lot of gaps that we felt like we were seeing in our own program and ways that others at HOH could learn. So after going to San Diego and Annapolis, you know, we've got a commitment internally uh, to send more and more people to the seminar each year, but then also to do take some of that training and provide it internally um, with what we've learned. So Darius is our technical services director. He's brilliant. He's a chemical engineer. He's been in the business almost 20 years, um, and he went through the fundamentals and applications training in Annapolis, just like I did in San Diego. And even he came out and said, you know what, I, I, I can see a lot of value in this for our engineers and our water treaters. So yeah, I would just say, you know, it's for, for everyone, regardless of experience, if you're trying to get better in your profession, and or if you're trying to help others in your organization get better at what they do as well. In Annapolis, I, you know, in particular, I went to the RO training, and that really opened my eyes. Colin Frain did that course, and I, I knew a little bit about reverse osmosis in terms of the applications we support, but he shared stories from all over the world. And I was just blown away at how many varieties of the membrane technology existed out there and all of the different kinds of applications uh, that use the technology that Colin's gotten to see and understand. And, and so my, my water treatment world expanded uh, when I went through the RO training and heard Colin speak there. And had I not gone, I, I my world would be much smaller, and I would have a, a much more limited understanding of you know the place we hold uh, in the industry and the kinds of customers we serve. Well, that's great to hear. As one of the people that helped decide what programs we're going to put on for technical training, when we did the RO class, you know, Colin used to do the sales class, and he said, "Well, what if we start offering this?" And we hoped it would fire well. And it absolutely did. And Colin's just a very entertaining guy to listen to, uh, even if his stuff is correct or not. No, of course, his stuff <laughs> is correct. But he's just uh, he's very entertaining and he's got so much experience. And, and he's actually been a guest on the show. Yeah. And I think, you know, every speaker, I mean, gosh, I think I may not know the exact number, but there was probably somewhere between five and 10 different speakers I, I heard across the four different classes. But, you know, some, some connect better than others, but everyone's kind of got their, their pros and cons. So some were super smart and, and almost, you know, kind of pushed you to, to learn a new vocabulary uh, just to kind of hang with them. Um, and others kind of broke things down much more simply. But I think that's maybe another benefit to the seminar that, um, that I, I walked away with was the variety of teachers um, is is part of the value. So you hear different people talk in, in different ways about some of the same concepts. You know, if you're just hearing about water treatment or learning within your own company, you know, when you go to the seminar, you get a very diverse set of perspectives. Uh, you see some good and some bad, and you you also maybe gather some tips on yeah what phrases you would want to use to to teach and and which ones 
maybe you want to steer clear from. So the technical training was pretty advanced and, and that had a couple different speakers in there as well. But one of the sections there, Trace, you did was water treatment math. And that was a good example of you know, a session that for me, there, there were times where you taught some of the calculations that, that I've known and used, and that was very helpful. And some of them, you move so quick through them, it, it kind of, it pushed me to say, hey, well, I, I've got work to do and I, I need to revisit this material so I can hang, hang with, uh, with guys like you at, at that kind of speed. So it's, it's good to have a variety of teachers. There's pros and cons to everybody. Um, sometimes it connects really well and other times it, it pushes you to, you know, to realize, hey, you, you got room to grow and you need to keep studying. Well, Reed, just between you and I and the 10,000 listeners of this podcast, I was originally given one hour to do math. The one you saw was three hours. And the complaint I get over and over again is there just isn't enough time. You need more time up there to explain these things. So I don't know if we start coming in a day early. I don't know what the solution is to that. But uh, there's just so much stuff to squeeze in a very small time frame. I'm not sure what to do around that. You have any suggestions for me? Well, I mean, I think one of the one of the pieces of advice I got from an early podcast episode, I think it was with Connor Parrish, and he had shared that he generally comes to the technical seminars each year or as often as he can. And so that, you know, without kind of commenting on the structure uh, of the, the seminar, I wouldn't even want to wade into, you know, what time needs to be managed to, to make room. But I, I think my plan has been, you know, two part. I, I, take, I took a lot of notes while I was there. And then secondly, I'm planning on attending as regularly as I can. So this upcoming February and March, I'm going to try and make at least one of those so I can sit in some of the sessions that moved quick that I, I couldn't hang with. And, you know, I'll be able to tell if I've learned more over this past year just by how much I comprehend uh, in the next session. Well, I appreciate those words. We're always looking for ways to improve. I really like yours. You're putting the responsibility on the student rather than the teacher that, hey, it is drinking from a fire hose. You're not going to get it all the first time. Come back. You'll be able to refresh what you learned last year. And hopefully in between those two times, you've been working on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, attending a session like that, yeah, for, for those that haven't gone yet, you got to when you're deciding whether to go or not, you got to know it's a fire hose. And so you got to, you got to enter that situation with your eyes wide open and equipped, you know, with the tools to capture as much as you can. There's no perfect system to it, but I think that's, you know, what you, you know, accomplish trace through this podcast. You're generally encouraging people to get better, you know, today than they were yesterday. And so there's a huge component of responsibility to it. And for those water treatment professionals that want to be uh, at the top of their game, um, you know, you got to go in prepared. This isn't something you can just kind of show up to and and float through and, and walk away with um, all the benefits. It, it requires a fair amount of investment uh, and preparation. I got to ask you, since you're here, people come up to me all the time and say, you really made math interesting. It was one of my favorite presentations. Can you please do a podcast episode on math? And for the life of me, I can't figure out how to do that and how to keep that interesting. Do you have any advice? Well, I mean, if you have the constraint of strictly audio on podcasting, I don't know. I guess I guess my advice would be try it and just see. I mean, I would just fire a bullet maybe and pick, you know, one of the formulas or one of the calculations and talk through it. And maybe it's a shorter episode and, you know, maybe it's, it's 15 minutes, but I would, I don't know, that's a pretty, it's a pretty big thing to tackle 
Right. But, you know, when I think about it, and people do a lot of math in their head, you know, mental math, I, I, I don't see why folks can't learn that by listening, or maybe it doesn't capture, maybe it doesn't teach it from scratch, but maybe it, it reinforces it for people. I would start with one, one calculation. I guess I, I appreciated, you know, when you taught the calculation portion, the way you set it up, you said, you know, there's a lot of, you know, rules of thumb in water treatment. And that always has bothered me that, that folks will refer to these simple rules of thumb and, and without much explanation as to why, you know, and, and how we arrived at that. And, you know, if you don't ever question it, you're sort of just, you know, recycling, you know, old patterns of thought and, and you could be wrong. And so I, I love the, the premise of having to prove, you know, some of the rules of thumb and, and understand the basis of why. And, you know, when you break it down to its, its simplest parts, you know, things begin to click into place and, and you actually kind of learn the ability to solve new problems or to prove, you know, other uh, calculations and rules of thumb to be true. So I don't know, maybe you pick the simplest one simplest rule of thumb, break it down into its parts and, and see what feedback you get. All right. I'll try that. Maybe I'll do um, how we get cooling tower tons. Yeah. All right. Well, fair enough. And I appreciate you acknowledging how I do break down all the rules of thumb or the constants that we have in our equations, because my dad sure didn't teach them to me. When I would ask him, you know, why is this in here? He'd say it was a rule of thumb. And I would say, well, you got to give me more than that. And he said, well, fine. It's because I said so. And that just really didn't give me what I wanted. So I painstakingly figured out where all these things came from. And there are so many different books out there and opinions of people to really get down to where they truly came from was a painstakingly long exercise. But I think I've done that to pretty much every equation that I showed you at the technical training. Yeah, and I, I mean, that's a, a huge service and contribution, I think, to the industry, but also to, you know, folks like me, you know, I'm in that millennial generation and I we annoy the heck out of uh, a lot of the older generations, Gen X, uh, baby boomers, because we are always kind of challenging the status quo and asking why. And when we don't get an answer, boy, I mean, we we raise a lot of heck. And so, you know, you've kind of tackled some of that proactively on the math side by, by challenging those rules of thumb, because, because generally I think a lot of other younger water treatment professionals, they're going to, they're going to be looking for the same. They're looking for definitive answers, not just opinions and conjecture or, you know, because I said so. And, you know, it goes a long way to hear someone like you break it down and to, to kind of share that passion to, to truly understand. What were some other takeaways that you got from the technical training seminar? Gosh, I mean, there's a lot. So I guess if I think about technical training, you know, one of the speakers there was Jim uh, Lukinich. And we always talk about scale, corrosion, fouling, microbiological control. I think, you know, one of my big takeaways from, from the cooling water component of the technical training that Jim provided was just how fundamental microbiological control is to all of the issues that we try and prevent or control in water treatment. And I think he he painted a really clear picture that stuck with me, which was, you know, looking at microbiological control and cooling towers just like you would your own dental hygiene. He even put up some, I think, really gross pictures. I think it was maybe of a dog's mouth, but just talked about how generally the practices that we all go through or should be going through every day, you know, with brushing our teeth or flossing, they generally kind of mirror and relate to the same kinds of processes that, that need to happen in a cooling tower. And so that was one of those concepts that really was solidified. And, you know, my perspective shifted on cooling water uh, in a way that I didn't expect. 
Yeah, Jim actually shared this on an earlier episode, but he used to have pictures of people with uh, periodontal disease. And he realized that that was pretty insensitive because he was talking to somebody afterwards that clearly could have been on one of those photos. So he changed it to uh, dogs and cats. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's a smart move. And I, I mean, dental hygiene's, you know, just like in water treatment, you know, we control the program, you know, but we, we oftentimes we can't control the hand we've been dealt, you know, so things are designed a particular way, which, which contribute to a lot of the different issues we've got to manage for. It's, uh, it's the same with dental hygiene. I think a lot of people, it's not all in their control. A lot of it's, you know, genetics. And so I think that was probably a, a, a good and sensitive move. Well, something you mentioned earlier, and I saw you do it. So I want you to let the Scaling Up Nation how you take notes, because I think I'm a pretty good note taker, but I was blown away at how you did it. So can you please share what you do? Yeah. So if I'm, you know, if I'm talking to somebody who's going to go to the training in 2020, February and March, I would say, you know, the first thing. I work on a, on a Microsoft machine. And so I, I use all of the different Office 365 tools. And, and my favorite tool is OneNote. So if you're going in February and March and you happen to have a, a PC and you're, you're using Microsoft tools like OneNote, I would encourage people to, to create a notebook in OneNote. That's what I did. Um, call it AWT. And then I created sections for each of the training components that I went through. And then when you go to the training, you get access to a site that has all of the PowerPoint presentations in note format. So when you print a PowerPoint, it's got the slide and then some lines next to it. Uh, I actually uh, downloaded those and saved those. So I had them on my machine. Uh, And then as I was sitting in each of the trainings, uh, I would follow along the the presenter with the PowerPoint PDF uh, that I had downloaded. And then I would actually use the the snippet tool uh, that comes default on, on Windows machines. And I would actually snip just the, the PowerPoint slide. I would paste it into the OneNote and then I would begin to kind of capture, you know, what the speaker was saying in a shorthand or in kind of a transcription way. So, you know, a lot of times you're hearing um, things, but you might not be able to process it all. I was generally just trying to type what I heard um, and tried to capture some of the main notes because the PowerPoint slides that the presenters put together, some are are simple and, and they support what the presenter's speaking, but the slides don't actually hold all of the content you want to digest. And so it's super valuable to me to now have some of those slides captured, but then, you know, maybe five or six sentences beneath of the main points that the speaker was trying to say. And that that did two things for me. One, I've got a really good kind of transcript of, of the talks that I can refer to. And I don't need, it doesn't have to be perfect sentences. Generally, I look for kind of keywords that are going to prompt my memory and bring me back to that particular uh, speaker. And I'll fill, my brain will fill in the gaps. But then on the other side, you know, these days at a seminar are, are pretty long. I mean, these are like marathon days. And then when you stack, you know, four of them in a row, if you do one of the Wednesday trainings, you're pretty winded uh, intellectually. So the process of snipping the the PowerPoint slides and, and typing the notes kept my brain engaged, probably through moments that I, I wouldn't have made it through had I just been sitting there trying to take manual notes. So that was my process this year. I, I, I've never done that before, but you know, I knew this was going to be a fire hose. So that was that was my strategy. And you know, I, I, it worked pretty well for me. So I, I would recommend other folks to do the same. I have to ask, 
what did you do with those notes? Now you got back home or later that night, did you do any sort of reviewing? How did you use them? Yeah, so it's it's looked a little bit different. You know, when I when I got back, I think Trace on one of the podcasts you had done, you'd said, Hey, take notes, but then review them when you get back and and maybe even commit to teaching one of the sessions internally. So I did a couple of things. I, I pretty much reviewed each of them. Um, I edited some of the notes I had beneath um, and bolded some of the the words and just did kind of a scan through. I, I probably only did that once after I had gotten back. Uh, and then I referred back to the notes a handful of different times. One uh, was for a customer seminar that we were doing. And I, I referred back to some of the phrases there. And what I found helpful was I didn't have to scroll through all the slides when I was within one note. I pretty much could just use the search function to look for some of the keywords. So I use some of that content to inform some training I put on. And then really the last few months, I've been getting prepared for the CWT exam. And so I've been scrolling through those to kind of get new pictures to reinforce some of the reading I'm doing in the technical training and reference manual. You mentioned you were going to go back next year to the technical training. And all of us speakers, we try to keep our slides fresh. We try to add new things. We try to make things more concise based on the results and questions that we got from the previous year. So it's not going to be the exact same, but I am curious, how do you plan on reviewing your notes specifically for next year when it's time to go? Uh, that's a good question. I, <laughs> I don't know if I've thought that far in advance. All right, fair uh, enough. But I mean, if I'm thinking out loud on it, I... You know, I'll, I'll first have to figure out which which uh, sessions I can go to. If I'm going to be able to go to both or just one of them, but I would definitely scan them before going. I guess I, di I didn't mention that before going. You really should review the agenda and kind of know the flow uh, of topics that are going to be covered in order to kind of be able to track uh, where where the presentations are. But yeah, I guess I would I would generally plan to scan through. I, what might be interesting is seeing what speakers change. So you know, I, I guess I'll I'll have to decide. I'll either keep the same notes and, and add on to those, or I might create a separate section and kind of redo those notes. Uh, I'll be curious to see what does change because you know I might end up having some interesting things to talk to presenters about in in terms of why they made a certain edit or or change or removed something or added it. Well, I will tell you something that we are trying to do with all of the speakers is we're trying to come up with two presentations. One will be an actual presentation that highlights key things that you need to know as they're speaking. And then there'll be another take home that you would get after that presentation is finished that's more loaded with technical data. So we're trying to work through that. But that takes a lot of time to put together. So hopefully it will be ready by next year, but I can't promise that. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I, that would, in my mind, be an ideal way of breaking it up. But, you know, I think, and you guys have shared this a couple of different times, you know, the presenters, they're doing that for free. And so, you know, there's a limit to what you guys can contribute because, you know, you're running your own businesses and, you know, having your own career. So I'm pretty empathetic when it comes to, you know, if it was exactly what I got left. Uh, this past year, um, next year, I would be just as happy because, you know, like you pointed out before, you know, just the presence of the speakers there and your peers in the professional industry, you know, that's all the raw materials you really need to make the most of the opportunity. The, the other ingredient there, you know, the attendees have to bring, which is just the responsibility and the strategy to, you know, make the most of it. Reed, I'm curious, you met a lot of new people by going to these technical trainings. Are you still in contact with these people? 
Yeah, there's there's a handful that I hear from. Uh, not a ton. I think you know it was my first time meeting some people. You know, and it takes some time when you're when you're making new friends to kind of see who who you end up connecting with and, and staying in touch with. I'll be kind of curious to see, you know, in the convention next month when I'm there, I'm excited to maybe see some people that I met at the technical training and, you know, I'll see what conversations are sparked and maybe even some people I see at the technical training in February and March. Obviously, I I spent time with Andy and Darius, who I went to the training with because we work together here uh, at HOH. Andy and I have been doing a lot of studying together for the CWT exam. But yeah, over the last really two years at AWT, I've met a couple people, you know, Michelle Farmery, somebody who I met through the Young Professionals group and, and some of the vendors as well. But yeah, I mean, that's probably one of my ongoing hopes of staying engaged in the association is just getting familiar with people year after year for seminar and, and hopefully building some longer lasting relationships. Well, since you took my advice with the technical training, I'm curious if you take my advice for the convention and do some of those things. If you decide to do that, would you mind coming back on the show and sharing that experience? Yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> I would. I would be glad to. Awesome. Well, I don't think we're not going to talk about the CWT prep because you've mentioned that a couple of times, but I want to stay on the technical training just a little bit longer because I know there are people out there listening and they're either the ones that are going to pay for somebody to go or they have to convince somebody to pay for them to go. Now, if they did not see value or hear value with what you have been saying for the last few moments, I don't know what's going to convince them. But sometimes it is difficult to write that check or to give that credit card number. So what can you say to somebody who's trying to decide if it's worthwhile to send their people or not? Yeah, if I'm thinking from the perspective of a manager or business owner, you know, there's a couple of things to, to consider. You know, one's the, the financial cost, which you've got, you got two elements to think about if, as you're sending somebody. You know, your responsibilities to steward the resources you have and to deploy them strategically. You've got maybe for one of the seminars, I always kind of round round up to even numbers, but maybe $1,000 in expenses to be there and then travel and meals and all that. And then, you know, maybe $1,000 worth of time, uh, a couple of days somebody might be spending. You know, one angle to think about it, if you're looking for, you know, a justification to kind of push you over the edge on sending folks, you got to look at how much you're already investing in people um, with just their normal compensation. And when you relate the cost uh, and expense of going to the seminar against what somebody's compensation is, you begin to realize it's it's a pretty small fraction, maybe, you know, 1%, 5%, depending on the the person or the role. And I think that's a pretty fair amount to reinvest in in making that person more valuable, both for the company and for that person's career. So instead of looking at the hard expense dollars kind of walking away, put it in proportion to what you're already uh, investing in that particular person. And you begin to realize it's a pretty small fraction. And if it's the right person who's going, who's going to make the most of the opportunity, uh, you know, the return on investments going to be very, very high. There was a cartoon that my business coach, Tim Fulton, gave me years ago. And it was of two gentlemen and they were trying to decide if they were going to train people. And the one guy asked, well, what if we train them and they leave? And the other guy looks at him and says, well, what if we don't train them and they stay? Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. You're in one of those two, two buckets, you know, and if, if the philosophy culture of the, the water treatment company is to get better, you know, today than, uh, than you were yesterday, 
well, then, yeah, you, 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 your belief is pretty much going to drive uh, the decision. The economics are pretty simple um, uh, for going. It comes down to whether you believe in in being better today than you were yesterday and, and helping others do the same. And if that's the case, you, you pretty much don't have a ton of choice. You can be strategic about who you go. I wouldn't open it up to everybody. You want it to be something that, you know, the best people that are, are desiring to grow get to take advantage of, um, that they feel invested in, and that they're going to take every opportunity to pay, you know, pay back that investment to, to the company and to others. Nation, as you can tell, I had a blast on this interview. I think I told you when Charlie Cicchetti almost four years ago told me that I needed to host my own podcast, I replied to him with what is a podcast? Today, it is my favorite thing to see pop up on my schedule when I have to do an interview because I just get to meet so many cool people because of this podcast. Now, Reed and I had a lot to talk about, so Reed's going to come back next week and we're going to continue our conversation. In the meantime, I started the show with talking about different organizations that are out there that can help you with your particular type of water treatment. So between this week and next week, I would love it if you would go online and figure out what are these organizations and how can you do something with them so you can get something out of them that will help you become a better water treater. And we know individually when we become a better water treater, we are going to help the industry have a higher standard. Folks, I love bringing this show to you, and I look forward to bringing it to you again next week on Scaling Up H2O. Nation, I think the secret to being successful is aligning yourself with other successful individuals. And that is exactly what the Rising Tide Mastermind is. If you are looking for a group to get you further faster, then please look at the Rising Tide Mastermind. The whole group is designed with that purpose in mind. And if you wanna find out more, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind.